0: And welcome to another episode of Functionally Autoimmune. I'm Brandy and I'll be your host. Have you ever heard the term leaky gut? Perhaps you've been diagnosed with it. Maybe you have a relative or a friend who's been diagnosed with leaky gut. Maybe you came across a podcast or um, a blog or an article or a study that referenced leaky gut or maybe it was the subject of Um, an article that you read. Maybe you saw a show of um, the doctors or Dr. Oz or whatever your favorite uh, medical show is on television that happened to have an episode that was focused on leaky gut or maybe they just uh, mentioned it kind of in passing and you wondered to yourself, is that something that I have? Is that something that I should be screened for, tested for? Should I look out for signs for that? Is it something that I um, am at risk for getting? Um, Is it something that I should treat myself for. So a lot of times when a term like leaky gut comes out and there's not a lot of information that follows it, um, it brings about, I don't want to say panic, but worry because people start thinking, what is this? How do you get it? Where does it come from? How do I make sure I don't have it? If I do have it, how do I treat it? You know, all these questions start coming up. So um Today I want to go into a little bit about leaky gut and talk about is it real? Is it something that we need to worry about? And the interesting thing is in the last probably eight, well, five to eight years, um, there have been a lot of studies done on leaky gut from everyone from functional medicine doctors to conventional medicine doctors to um, the gastrointestinal community has gotten involved in um, determining whether leaky gut is real and so when there are a bunch of groups like that that get together and do studies and try and determine if this new diagnosis is something real and if it is real what exactly does it encompass and how do you treat it and how do you diagnose it um, it, it becomes kind of um, uh, its its own diagnosis and so a series of symptoms and Uh, things to look for and indications and treatments, they all have to come into play. And so studies are done to determine what all of those things are. So since a lot of studies have been done, a lot of um, times when this happens, there becomes two sides to every story, right? So there's, um, we'll just call them the believers and the non-believers. So there are groups of medical professionals out there that are absolutely certain that they have done the studies, they've done the research, they've done the testing, and Leaky gets a real thing, and they can prove it, and they can tell you your symptoms, and what to look for, and how to treat it, and etc, etc. And then on the other spectrum of that, there are medical professionals who say it is absolutely not a real thing, it's made up, people are trying to use this term to scare people into spending money on supplements and treatments, and um, you know, it's There's no way that is possible and so they put all their time and effort into debunking or uh, proving wrong this diagnosis of leaky gut so since leaky gut has been around for a while now and a lot of studies have been done we now have these two divided sides so uh for the rest of this podcast we'll call them believers and non-believers okay because that's really the easiest thing to call them so um since we have these two different schools of thought um it, it becomes interesting in deciding which side of that you land. So what do you believe? Do you, are you on the believer side? Or are you on the non believer side? Or do you find yourself somewhere in the middle? And any of those answers are okay because your body and your health journey is your own. So what works for you and what um, fits your symptom description and your health journey and your wellness and lifestyle is very different from mine or anyone else's. So first off, I want to say whichever area or spectrum of that um, that you land on, that's okay. Um, But I just want to kind of give a little bit of information here so that you can um, maybe be a little bit more empowered and maybe shift yourself in one direction or another on that spectrum after this uh, podcast. So um, the one thing is that each group, so the believers and the non-believers, each agree that the prevalence of gastrointestinal disease, autoimmunity, and obesity have increased in the last hundred years. So We know for sure that 100 years ago, people were not having all of these gastrointestinal issues, Um, autoimmunity wasn't even something that was on the radar really, Um, obesity was not a problem, Um, and you know, if you, if you look back at pictures, let's say, of even 50 years ago, right? So let's let's say for instance we look back at the 1940s, okay? So if you look at pictures from the 1940s and um and you maybe your grandparents, your parents, whoever, pictures um if you look at those pictures, more than likely you are not going to see anyone in those pictures that's obese, okay? Um most of the time they were um well kept and I don't want to necessarily say in great shape because you know maybe they didn't have a six-pack or you know muscular arms um, great shape means different things to different people but um, they weren't obese okay so we they weren't walking around with hundreds of extra pounds on them um, now maybe here or there you might come across someone in the 1940s um, but they typically had something going on with them and They were like a medical marvel. Like, you know, uh, the medical community couldn't understand why this person was this large and what, you know, what was happening with them, what was going on. It was an oddity, right? So, most people were um, in well shape and not overweight and within their BMI, and occasionally you would have someone who was overweight. Well, slowly, over the course of decades. So we go from the 40s to the 50s, we kind of see the same prevalence. Um, 50s to the 60s, again, kind of the same. And then as we start going into the 70s, 80s, 90s, and now 2000s, we had an increase over that amount of time of the prevalence of obesity. So it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like we woke up one day and all of a sudden there were millions of people who were hundreds of pounds overweight or, uh, you know, slightly um, obese, okay? It just, it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like we woke up and it was there. It's happened over the course of many decades. But if you look back um, 50 to 100 years ago, it wasn't an issue. Now, part of the argument is that, well, We didn't know what gastrointestinal disease was, so it couldn't be diagnosed, and perhaps it was there, but we didn't know it. Um, Or autoimmunity, perhaps tons of people had autoimmunity and we didn't know what it was, and so we couldn't diagnose it, and so obviously the prevalence wasn't there because we didn't know what to look for. Um, The other side of that is, you know, people didn't have the symptoms that they have now that leads to autoimmunity. and gastrointestinal diagnosis so they weren't complaining of the same symptoms and having the same issues so it couldn't have been there so again that's a whole another podcast a whole a another uh, rabbit hole to dig down but that's a little bit of the argument is that we agree that these things over the last hundred years have increased in prevalence we don't know why we don't know what's causing it what's causing that change uh, but it's increased um, So that's something that they agree agree on which is great right so we have something that that that's agreed on now the non-believer side think that it's not a new issue okay so all of these things were just misunderstood for many years and now we're finding and diagnosing them better okay so this theory could work right except people were not obese in the same prevalence as we see now so that's what we were just talking about so they just weren't and you know, I really challenge you to go back and look through Time magazine and, you know, any, any archive that you can find of photos of people 50 to 100 years ago and, you know, really find the prevalence of obesity that we have today. You just won't find it. And so, you know, the non-believers are really sticking to that. You know, it, the prevalence isn't there just because we didn't know what we were looking for, except for it doesn't really work for obesity, right? You can see it. Obesity is something you can see autoimmunity gastrointestinal issues symptoms like that you can't see you know people can feel them and they can express them but you can't see them obesity you can see so you know the argument that we just didn't understand it um, doesn't mean that it was prevalent so that's a little bit of kind of that worries me about the non-believer side but <laughs> but again these are scientists and professionals so they have to have their their um theories and understandings right so anyways so um now they thought well our ancestors and even our parents didn't have these issues in the 50s and 60s which is true um we didn't they didn't or we didn't know that they did right now the believer side says well these are all new ailments that have emerged within you know within the american standard diet so as the American Standard Diet evolved and grew over the decades, that's when all of these ailments and um, diseases and chronic conditions and obesity started to emerge. Now, like I said before, you can kind of see that pattern. So you can understand where they're coming from, right? So go back to the 40s, did we see obesity? Um, as much as we do now, no. Do, you know, did, did they have the number of autoimmune and chronic conditions that we have now? Um, As far as we know, they didn't, you know, did they and we weren't able to diagnose it? I don't know. But it does definitely seem that um, as the standard American diet changed and evolved, so did these ailments. So I can see their side of that, right? So suddenly, you know, back in the 80s, the fat free Craze kind of happened, right? So everything needed to be fat free. Fat was bad. Um, Eat your whole grains, but don't eat your fat. Um, And so eating carbs and bread based diets became huge because people were so obsessed with avoiding fat that they weren't paying attention to the fact that they were eating hordes of amounts of carbohydrates and sugar. So you know we definitely can see that shift as it continued to grow and these elements and um, conditions changed with it. So, you know, that's a great theory. Um, So, yeah, so um, they switched with the American Standard Diet and changes in our lifestyle and food additives. So, right. So we became less active. We weren't out farming. We weren't tilling fields all the time. We weren't you know, working in mines, we weren't factory workers, we weren't railroad workers anymore. Suddenly we had shifted our lifestyles into offices, sitting at desk, answering phones, um, you know, maybe working a little bit outside, maybe we did some um, part of our day outside and part of it inside doing paperwork, but our jobs started shifting, right? So machines started doing a lot of the heavy labor at like lumber yards and things like that. So people were still working there, but how they worked there had shifted. So not only were we seeing a change in our diet, but we were also seeing a change in how we spent our day. So becoming more sedentary and becoming more carbohydrate driven. So yeah, our lifestyles were changing, our diet was changing, and tons of additives were being added into our food. the 70s and 80s were a huge spike for high fructose corn syrup and um, we saw that happen because it saved the food industry millions of dollars Um, they were able to make tons and tons more food um, at a cheaper cost to get out to um, all of the buying consumers. And so they thought, well this is great, this stuff isn't bad for you, it's made from corn Um, nothing bad can happen from this and we can make tons of it for cheap and we can get this food out and get it on the shelves and sell it in abundance. Um, So we saw a huge prevalence of additives being added into our food too that were not being added, you know, in the 30s and 40s. They just weren't there. Um, And so with the lifestyle change, the diet changes, and the additives being added, we can see that um, all of these conditions and ailments and obesity were following along. So it's pretty easy for the believers to say, hey, look, we can map out exactly by decade um, all of these changes in engineering, in lifestyle, in diet, in additives, in food source, and all of these things, and we can map out how these have affected people's health and life, right? So we can say, look, you know, maybe in the 40s we had a 10% um, obesity problem. Well, then by the 70s, we had a 60% obesity problem. And then by the 80s, we were at like 87% obesity problem. And so we can actually count and measure um, in a study that these things go hand in hand. And that's pretty much what the believers have done. Okay, so it's very plausible given the changes and everything that's happened, our food genetic makeup, our daily lives, how we produce food, what we eat, what our normal diet looks like. And so the believers argue that this is why, this is why our guts are being destroyed. Okay, so this is why they say leaky gut is real because look at all the stuff we've done to it and how can you say that it's not? And so that's kind of, their argument so we've seen both sides we've seen the non-believers saying you know hey guys this doesn't really make sense because it was never a problem before and why is it suddenly a problem now and it can't be the gut because we've all had guts you know for for a hundred years or more we've all had the same guts so it can't be that suddenly our gut is the issue Whereas the believers are saying, yeah, we've all had the same gut all this time, but look what we've done to it. Look at all the changes we've made. Look at all the additives that we've put into our food. So you can kind of see where the argument and the disconnect started. So if we journey back to 200 years ago, Hippocrates suggested that all diseases began in the gut. 200 years ago. You know, like, how could this guy who... Um, has been deemed the father of medicine, right, 200 years ago, before um, most of our modern diagnoses existed, before most of our modern food staples existed, when lifestyles were completely different than they even were in the 40s, 50s, and especially today, you know, um, so this guy 200 years ago says all of our diseases begin in the gut, and So that is another thing that the believers have really grabbed hold of. They're like, hey, look, this guy has known so much and we've gone back and read his writings and his beliefs and his theories. And so many of them have proven to be accurate. And now here he is saying that disease begins in your gut. How can leaky gut not be real, right? So um, the believers have really held on to that belief and you know given the level of technology medical advancement and ability to care for disease two thousand years ago you have to wonder why he came to this conclusion what was his research and his data you know how, how did he how did he decide that disease began in the gut what did you know we don't we don't know that what his research was what his data was what um led him to this belief we have no idea were there gastrointestinal issues that they were calling something else, that it was prevalent then, and we just didn't know it? You know, who knows? We don't know those answers, right? So those are going kind to of some questions that I ask myself when we look back at Hippocrates, like, how? How did you know this? What, where did you get your information from? Um, but we also must remember that food back then was very different than food now right so they ate roots and plants and nature essentially was medicine in those days um so you know if someone was sick they would make up a concoction from leaves and berries and roots and um different things like that so food really was medicine for them i mean it wasn't you know we say food is medicine now because we have grown to understand that food really does make a huge impact in our health and our bodies. But for them, it wasn't even a matter of understanding that food is medicine, it just was. That's all they knew, that's all they had, and food was medicine. And so, that's just how they lived. They didn't eat the way that we do. There was no processed food, okay? So they went out into a river and they caught a fish and they cooked it. And they went and picked berries and they ate them. I mean, everything was in its naturalist form at that time there was nothing processed they didn't have things in a box that they could pop open and eat um there was just there was no processed food, so there was no genetic alteration of food whatsoever there were no additives there was no high fructose corn syrup um there wasn't sugar to be adding to things um they had honey and they had things that they could find in nature um you know fruit and things dates things like that to sweeten things up but there was no like processed white sugar. They just didn't have that. Um, So those are huge things that have changed in our lives. Um, So, you know, nature was their food. Nature was their medicine. Um, So has our genetic makeup changed so much in the last 2,000 years that now food and nature are no longer vital medicine? So are we so different from our ancestors, um, 200, 2,000, however long ago, Um, are we so different? Are our stomachs and our intestines and our genetic makeup, is it so different that suddenly what was working for them, food is medicine, natural as can be, you know, no processed sugar, no processed food, um, are we so different that we should not be eating like that? You know, are these chemicals that we're putting into our bodies, are our bodies genetically able to filter out and, and absorb these things. So these are other questions that the believers are saying, hey, you know, if we if we weren't eating those thousands of years ago, suddenly they were invented in a plant and we start eating them uh, because they were manufactured and they're turned into something that looked like food and we're like, oh, that looks tasty and it's sweet because it has sugar in it and we can eat it, does that mean that it's safe for us to eat and that it doesn't affect our stomachs? So that's a lot of where they're going with that, right? Is we're eating basically lab food. You know, it's not natural. We didn't go out and pick it out of, um, out of the forest and we didn't go and pluck it out of the rivers and just eat it in its natural form. These things are being done for us. So yeah, our gut's gonna be affected because we're putting chemicals in it, okay? So that's kind of where. The believers are leaning more towards, how can you say that leaky gut is not real? Look at all these things that we've done and look at our genetic makeup over the last 2000 years, okay? So again, even though Hippocrates thought of this 2000 or so years ago, modern medicine has only recently began looking to the gut for answers. So how is that possible, right? So we had a man who we have deemed the father of medicine, Okay. Who has said all these wonderful things that um, a lot of which we have proven to be accurate? And he said, you know, years and years and years ago, hey, we have to pay attention to the gut because that's where all of our issues start. And somewhere along the line, that got lost in translation. And it hasn't been until the last 10 or so years that, you know, modern medicine has said, hey, you know what? I think our stomach plays a really big role in our health. Huh, interesting. So why, why you know, why did that get away and why has it taken so long for us to start looking at the gut for answers? So like I said, there's been a ton of research studies now because we're trying to determine is leaky gut real? Is it something we should be worried about? Um, so many research studies now show that our guts um, are colonized with multiple different flora and fauna for lack of a better word. Um, and when the bad bacteria Overtakes the good bacteria, then inflammation begins to develop. Okay, so then these toxins are produced and they're able to break through the gut wall um, as it becomes more and more permeable. Okay, so our gut starts losing its defenses, our good bacteria are being killed by our bad bacteria, and all of these toxins are starting to form and they're just leaking right through hence the term leaky gut, (laughs) leaking right through the permeability of our stomachs because our defense mechanism is down, right? So now we're inflamed, we can't defend our stomachs and all of these toxins are just running rampant in our body because they were able to escape, right? So now they're allowing more and more and more and more bacteria to escape into our bloodstreams and once it hits the bloodstream guess what happens it travels everywhere right so the body's immune response kicks in to try and protect the body so it's saying okay we have all these foreign invaders and they're coming from everywhere and we don't know what to do ah um so so we have to stop it so there you know the body's immune response kicks in and says you know find these bad guys and kill them um and so your body is kind of in this this constant state of immune attack, right? Because it's trying to find all of these toxins and we continue to eat every day and we continue to add more toxins and more um, processed food and more chemicals and more things in there and they continue to leak through and so it's really just this constant battle of trying to rid your body of toxins, right? Your body wants to live, it wants to be healthy, it wants to thrive and so it's doing its job by finding these bad guys and trying to battle them out of there. So, you know, your immune response kicks in and you are at a heightened immune state, so hence autoimmunity, right? So now we've got this problem where the body is just constantly inflamed because it's trying to help you, really. um, It's really just trying to protect your body the best way that it knows how. Um, So studies have shown that unhealthy diets and those high in sugar and processed foods increase both endotoxins and permeability, okay? So we all know that sugar feeds bacteria, okay? Bacteria love sugar. It will eat it all day, and so the more sugar you put in your body, the more bad bacteria will thrive, okay? We also know that cancer cells feed on sugar. Tons and tons of studies have come out that have said, you know, cancer thrives in a sugar environment. It just eats it and, and thrives, um, you know? And so the one thing that people need to think is I'm not talking just white processed table sugar that you add into baked goods or you know donuts things like that but carbohydrates like breads pastas um, enriched white flour um, any of those things so carbohydrates in general when you have too much going into your body and your body can't process it all because it doesn't need all of those carbohydrates what it does is it transitions them into sugar, okay? So it basically turns all of those carbs into sugar, and now you have all of the sugar running rampant in your body, okay? So it's feeding the bad bacteria. It's feeding um, the immunity. It's feeding everything that you don't want going on in your body. And so, again, inflammation starts raging because it has all the sugar to fight, okay? So um, this leads to everything from mental and physical health issues fatty liver um, adrenal fatigue obesity and of course autoimmunity okay so we can link a lot of this back to sugar in particular but there's a lot more to it than that okay so the believer side says listen our sad standard american diet has led us to growing these horrible bad bacterias and allowed so much of the sugar and processed food and bacteria to just leak into our system and cause obesity and autoimmunity, and it has gone rampant because we have allowed this to happen, right? So currently tests for leaky gut are available. Okay, so you can go out and get a test for leaky gut. You can get a home test. You can have doctors um, run tests for them. There are several different tests for them. Okay, so they check your um, mannitol and lactulose levels. So mannitol is a small sugar molecule. molecule. So we just talked about sugar and how it's running rampant in our bodies if we're eating a sad diet. So uh, mannitol is a small, small sugar molecule that normally passes through easily through your gut, okay? And is used as a marker in absorption, okay? So when they test your mannitol, they expect it to leak through, okay, so it's really small and it should pass through easily. So they're expecting that. And so it's just a marker of how fast your absorption levels are. Okay, the other side of that is lactulose, okay, it's a much larger sugar molecule that does not pass well, okay, so it shouldn't be passing through the walls and it's used as a marker to determine holes in the gut lining. So, you know, if the lactulose is getting through, then you have a permeable gut because it shouldn't pass. Okay, so that's kind of what those two markers are looking for so you know a sample a urine sample is obtained um, after about six hours they look at these results and according to the non-believer side of leaky gut intestinal permeability right so we're looking for the permeability of the, of the gut that's what leaky gut essentially means so According to the non-believer side, even though they, they know these tests, they use these tests in their own offices and practices, they do not think that leaky gut is a real issue, okay, and that it's often only seen in those with celiac disease, Crohn's disease, um, high aspirin use or high alcohol use, okay, so, they might use this test just to determine your absorption in the case of vitamins. you know, Maybe they've placed you on certain vitamins because you're deficient, and they'll do a um, mannitol and, and lactulose test to determine if you're absorbing these vitamins and minerals, right? But they don't believe that it's helpful in determining if you have leaky gut. They just don't think that leaky gut is real, and they just don't <laughs> test for that. Um, And so, you know, you can see that they're saying, okay, celiac Crohn's, high aspirin use, and high alcohol use. Okay, so these are the only things that they really believe can be causing the issues that are associated with leaky gut. Okay, Um, they also state that the treatment of those issues, um, such as bloating, inflammation, gastric upset, um, you know, you know the list, all of those (laughs) issues that those of us with autoimmunity have, cannot be um, repaired with a fad, low-sugar diet, okay? So they're saying that um, autoimmune protocol diets and paleo diets and keto diets and all of those diets are fads and they're low in sugar and that they're not healthy for you and that you shouldn't do them, basically, is what they're saying, and that it's not going to help your leaky gut because leaky gut is not real. Okay, so while they argue a small percentage of the population is affected by gluten and dairy intolerances, so they do know this, and a small percentage of the population, um, (laughs) they think that the majority of people are not and that people are cutting these food groups out for no reason. So here's kind of my thought on this. And while this non-believer group that patients who claim to feel better from a change to these fat diets um, they're really just having relief due to not consuming pastries and ice cream along with processed foods okay so I'm going to read that again because this is literally a quote and and I quote from a research study that I um, pulled up on this subject so you know I just said they don't believe that gluten and dairy intolerances are a major issue in the population okay and that those who who eliminate them and feel better is just because you know it, it's basically a coincidence, right? It's not actually that food. Um, I can tell you as somebody who has a wheat allergy, I've had wheat allergy since I was you know three years old, and I have a major dairy intolerance. And cutting those foods out has made an amazing difference in my life um, in so many different ways. So. I take a little bit of offense to the non-believer side of that, but that's okay that, you know, everybody has their their right to their opinion. But I have to read this quote to you again because this is what a lot of people who are trying to get autoimmune diagnosis are facing, and these are the types of comments that you might get that make you feel like you are worthless and that you're crazy for having these feelings and these symptoms, and I want you to know that you're not crazy there are tons of us out there that have those symptoms and that there is something that could be done about it. So if someone says this to you, <laughs> um, leave their office and don't see them again. Um, so let me just find this real quick. So, yes. So, and I quote, the patients who claim to feel better from a change to these fad diets are really having relief due to not consuming pastries and ice cream along with processed foods. I'm sorry. I know that before my diagnosis, I was not sitting around eating pastries and ice cream every day, um, not even once a week. And I was having the most horrible symptoms. And I can honestly tell you that I went to a gastroenterologist who my primary care physician referred me to for a ton of gastric issues that she could not explain. Um, I went to him. And I told him my list of symptoms, you know, I can't, I'm gaining weight. I don't know why. I cannot lose it. I'm having these gastrointestinal issues, blah, blah, blah. And he literally almost word for word said what this quote from this study said to me. He said, well, you know, if you ate better and you didn't eat junk food all day, you probably wouldn't be having these issues. He did not know me at all. We met one time. This was my first visit with this man. All he knew was what I was telling him and what I was referred there for. And let me tell you that I got up from there and I left his office and I never saw him again. I didn't say a word for him. I said, thank you, sir, good day. And I left, because you know what? Those people are not actually there to help you find answers, okay? And unfortunately, there are providers out there who have that mentality, and if you come across them, leave. Okay, because they are not there to help you. There are tons of gastroenterologists and providers out there that are there to help you. So if you hear something along those lines, walk out the door. Sorry, side note, (laughs) that quote makes me angry. Um, So yes, so there are some out there of these non-believers who believe that. Um, They also feel like gluten sensitivity uh, is only limited to those with allergies and celiac. And that cutting out an entire food group is not healthy. Um, I agree with the part of cutting out an entire food group is not healthy, except for when you have an intolerance, an allergy, or your body cannot handle it or process it. Okay? So if you cut out gluten and you are less bloated, you feel better, you have more energy, your acne is going away, you sleep better, the list goes on and on and on, gluten's not good for you, and you cut it out. Okay, I, you know, I don't care if someone out there says, well, it's not good for you to cut out that entire food group. Um, if it benefits you health-wise, mentally, and physically, then yeah, you cut it out because you benefit from it, okay? So again, don't let anyone tell you that either. Um, so anyway, regardless of which school of thought you follow, if you tend to lean towards the non-believer side of opinion or the believer side of opinion, um, it really is important to get your facts together on kind of where you land there. If you are having gastrointestinal issues, trouble sleeping, you have an autoimmune or chronic condition, you have um, tried to cut out dairy and gluten and sugar and you know inflammatory foods, and you had a little bit of relief, but you're still having some issues, um, and you're just not getting results that you're hoping for, then I would say that leaky gut is something that you should uh, pursue and find more information out about, perhaps do a leaky gut test, just see what your results come back as, Um, find a functional medicine doctor that understands leaky gut and um, diagnosing of it, and get get an opinion, you know, what you choose to do with that opinion after you get it is your business, Um, it's your body, it's your life. But um, I would say if you're leaning towards that being a possibility, then pursue it. Um, If you are on the non-believer side and you've done all these things and nothing seems to work and and you just can't wrap your mind around the fact that leaky gut might possibly be real or might possibly be a problem for you and you don't wanna go down that path and you don't wanna take that test, then you know what, don't do it. Don't, don't go down that path if you feel like it's not the right path for you. Um, I personally think that leaky gut is real. Um, I also believe that there is a lot to our stomachs than we even even remotely think that we know. Um, it does so many different things, and it sends food and minerals and vitamins into our bodies, Um. On a daily basis, that I don't think we have even began to understand exactly what all our stomach does for us, and so I tend to be on more of the believer side of the spectrum because of that, right? Because I have worked in the healthcare field for over ten years, and I have seen so many different people with so many different ailments, and I myself have gone through my own health journey and autoimmunity, and um, so I tend to lean on that believer side, but. You know, again, it's because of, for me, it's because I research and I read studies and I um, know anatomy and physiology and I have kind of that background. So to me, it just makes sense that, you know, we put food in our mouth, we chew it up, we swallow it. And, you know, the thought process is, well, we just, our stomachs digest it and it goes where it's supposed to go. And that's the end of the story. Well, yes and no. I mean, it, our stomachs have to squeeze out vitamins, minerals, um, proteins, fats, all of those things that our cells need to thrive on a daily basis, and our stomachs have to squeeze that out of the food that we've eaten and get it to those cells. So there's so much more to our stomachs than just digest the food and get rid of it, okay? So, you know, does that happen right in our gut with... Um, the digestion process? Does it happen in our small intestines and our large intestines uh, and our colon? Like where does all of that um, extraction of vitamins and minerals and where does it all happen? And we don't a hundred percent know. We have ideas, you know, we have ideas along the way of what process does what and what squeezes and what, you know, you know, we know we have stomach acid in our stomach that helps the digestion and, We have ideas but we don't really fully understand how all of those vitamins and minerals and absolutely life vital proteins and fats and everything gets to the cells of our bodies so so that they can function and thrive. We really don't have any idea. So for me to completely dismiss the idea of leaky gut, I just can't do it because It has to be somewhat permeable to allow the good vitamins and minerals to get out into our cells and into our bodies, but there also has to be a defense mechanism so the stomach gastric acids and all of the bad bacteria and all of those things don't get out and into um, our cells and into our bodies. So is it possible for there to be a breakdown in that system if we abuse it and put in a bunch of chemicals and um, things that shouldn't be in there? Absolutely. It's just like a car, right? Our bodies are like cars. If you put diesel fuel in a gas-run engine, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be breakdown, right? (laughs) So it's kind of the same thing. We're going to put processed, unreal, chemically- made in a lab, food in our stomachs, and we're going to expect it to extract out some type of miracle vitamins and minerals to make our bodies thrive and live, and then be shocked when, guess what? It broke down. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) I guess what I'm saying is, to me, leaky gut is real. Um, I'm a believer. I tend to lean on that spectrum. Um, It's something that I... And constantly on the lookout in my own body and so for me it is um, but know that that there are both very very strict ends of the spectrum um, and like I said where you fall is your business it's your body it's your health journey it's your life no one can tell you um, what you feel and what you don't feel what works for your body what doesn't work for your body you are the only one that knows that so to me, the question of is leaky gut real? It's a personal question and it can only be answered personally, um, in my opinion. So, you know, I I think that's something that you have to venture, um, on your own and determine kind of where you lie on that spectrum. And if you're somewhere in the middle, then that's great. You're somewhere in the middle. And, um, eventually you'll figure out which direction you want to go. And, And uh, if you want to pursue that for your own health journey or not. But um, so to answer my initial question of this podcast, is leaky gut real? It depends. It depends on who you ask. And it depends on who you, um, how you believe and how you see your body. So that is all I have for today. And um, I hope I taught you guys a little bit about leaky gut. Or at least made you think about it um, a little bit more and kind of gave it a little bit of thought. And just know on a side note, if you go to a a conventional doctor and ask for a leaky gut test um, and they won't give it to you or they don't know what you're talking about, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I think there are definitely a large group that do and that will do that for you. And there are a large group that don't know what it is and won't do that for you. So um, definitely be on the lookout for home tests that can figure that out for you and uh, functional medicine doctors that can help you get that answer if that's something that you want to pursue. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Welcome to the show. And thank you so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens with 75 absorbable vitamins and minerals in just one scoop per day. I've increased my energy, immune function, and so much more. AG is a non-negotiable part of my daily routine. For your own risk-free AG plus 20% off and free vitamin D3 K2 supplement, go to www.athleticgreens.com backslash autoimmune, or look in the notes of this podcast and you can find the link there. Trust me, you want to add Athletic Greens to your day. It makes such a huge difference.